Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to God's word as we begin the reading from verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being driven over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So as a reading of God's holy, matchless word. As I was preparing this, I was remembering a conversation that I had with someone in Saskatoon. I had given a mission presentation in the home of a friend that I had done a short-term mission with that summer in we're passing through Saskatoon, did this presentation, and afterwards, speaking to the people who were present, one of them was a radio presenter in a local Christian radio station, and she had the morning show. And I thought, that must be difficult to always be chipper, always have this positive attitude in the morning to get people uh, going at the beginning of their day. And as the conversation went along, I, I wanted to encourage you with this word that I remember from a pastor, and it was this, and I'll share about this later as well, but just telling her that, that as this passage says, we are jars of clay, don't be afraid to let the cracks show. We, as human beings, almost always want to show our best on the outward. We, we, we don't want to show people our weaknesses, our imperfections. We don't want them to see those parts of our lives that are at times shameful or afraid for people to see. This is a reality for all of us, if we're honest. We want people to see the strong side, the good side of us. And we also want to be able to see, people to see that there's something perhaps extraordinary in us, whether it's your cooking or your parenting or whatever that might be, that somehow there's something extraordinary about you. The reality is that we are, as humans, we are made of clay. Adam was made out of the dust of the earth. We, we are but weak vulnerable people, vulnerable to cracking, to exposing ourselves and our weakness, our imperfections. And when those imperfections are seen as humans, we cover up, we hide, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's natural for all of us in a sinful world. But for the Christian... There's something in the ordinary, in all of our lives, the ordinariness, there is something extraordinary 
in us. In jars of clay, there is something extraordinary. Archaeologists, when they do digs, they are looking for things as they go down through the layers in the ground, and they'll often find clay pots. I read recently that in Bulgaria, as there was an archaeological dig, they found a clay pot pot with about a thousand precious metal coins in them with a value of great worth inside this ordinary clay pot. What is the treasure, as it says here in verse 7, that is in jars of clay? If we are jars of clay, what is that treasure that is in us? We have to look at the verse before, because it says, for we have this treasure. What is that treasure? Look at verse 6. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is that treasure? This whole passage is speaking of the gospel. The gospel that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that is this light that is shining now. And this, this light that shone in the face of Jesus Christ is bringing us back to Genesis chapter 1. What did God say in his first creative act? He said, let there be light. And here we have these words. God said, let light shine out of darkness. When God speaks into a human heart and says, let there be light, let light shine out of the darkness in that heart, then it shines the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure in jars of clay, the extraordinary treasure in the ordinary. We have to understand this in contrast, this glory that has been revealed in the gospel with this glory that was fading in the old covenant. So we have the old covenant and new covenant. And briefly here, we have Moses contrasted with Jesus here as Paul is explaining. As Moses was coming down from the mountain, having met with God and seen his glory, his face was shining, but it was fading. The light from his face was fading. What about Jesus Christ? When he came from heaven, the light of the world. In John 1, it says, John 1, 14, it says, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. So in the face of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God in the gospel. That is the treasure. So the focus is not on us, the jars of clay in which we are. The focus is on Jesus Christ, that treasure that is in us. Now, we focus on ourselves constantly. That's, that's the preoccupation of our lives in trying to renovate the outside and trying to make ourselves presentable. But here Paul is saying, look at the treasure that is in you. In you, yes, a jar of clay. Not focusing on the renovation of the outside, but the revelation that is on the inside, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Turning our eyes away from ourselves 
and upon Jesus Christ. This is the passage. Now, here we find not only this extraordinary treasure in us, but we find three extraordinary realities in ordinary Christians. Three extraordinary realities in ordinary Christians like you and me. The first is power in weakness. Power in weakness. The second part of this verse here, the purpose for this treasure being in jars of clay is so that to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. That's the purpose. It's to show his power. And it says here, it's an extraordinary power. The New American Standard Version actually uses that word, extraordinary power. In the Greek, it's the word, and tell us, tell me, even young people, what do you hear in this Greek word? Hyperbole. Hyperbole. Hyperbole, the surpassingness of this power that is not of us. It's not of us, this jar of clay, but it's of God. It's his power that is in us. An excellent, great, beyond measure power that is of God in this jar of clay. So how do we shine this this glory, this power? And it's in contrast with weakness. It's power in weakness. The contrast, his power, our weakness. The more we show our weakness, we acknowledge our weakness, that we are utterly dependent on his power, the more it magnifies his power in our lives. To the hyperbole, the 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 surpassingness of that power. This is the way of God in Christians. This is the way that Paul learned and understood. Second Corinthians chapter 12, if you know this passage, where Paul talks about this time in his life where he had this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but three times he pleaded to the Lord saying, take this away. And the Lord answered him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, Paul, is perfected in your weakness. That's the answer to your problem with a thorn in the flesh is my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul, from the rest of his, for the rest of his life, he was boasting in his weakness. Not in his power, but in his actual weakness. And in this, this whole letter, he's speaking about how weak he is. He's magnified his own weakness and so that it could be in contrast with the power of God that was resting upon him in his ministry. When I went to South Sudan, I was young. I had a lot of strength physically. I had a tremendous drive to go and preach the gospel. I loved the gospel and I loved preaching the gospel. And I was going on those, that fuel. <laughs> now, that became fumes when I was driving myself in the ground, not looking to Christ for all the strength, all his energy being powerfully at work within me. 
and thinking that just that drive alone was enough to keep me going week after week. And I had to learn this lesson that Paul learned. That in weakness, his power is perfected in me. That's what I needed to understand. That even though my name is Vince, I thought it was invincible, but I was actually dependent, utterly dependent on the power of God in ministry. And that's the same for your life. Is it in your life you are going in your own strength by my might, by my power? Or are you going to go into this week saying, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it by your spirit, the power of your spirit. Because you know that that's the power that's perfected in your weakness as you confess that weakness before him. Sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge it. It's not a virtue to acknowledge weakness, but to be strong. But you're not. You are weak. You're a jar of clay. So confess it before the Lord, even before others. Going back to this saying from Pastor Albert Martin, if you know him, there are some here who do know him very well. And in one of his sermons, he says, the best thing that you can do to let people see your weakness and that you are a clay pot is that you are not afraid to let the cracks show, to acknowledge that you have imperfections, to confess those to others, confess your sins to one another. That's a Christian practice. Your weakness, your failings, your frailty. And then the power of Christ will be shown. What will people see as they see cracks and they see weakness? They'll see the the light of Christ, the face of Christ shining through those cracks in you. They're going to see that treasure in you, that power in you. This is not the way of the world, is it? But it's the way the people will see Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that what people need to see? They need to see Christ, not you. So you get out of the way so that they can see Christ. You want your friends, you want your relatives, you want your neighbors to see Christ, not you. So let that extraordinary power in you, an ordinary person, be revealing him. Power and weakness, his power in your weakness. That's the first extraordinary reality. The second is this. In ordinary Christians, it's this. Triumph in suffering. Triumph in suffering, verses 8 and 9. Paul here is going to give us four paradoxes here. Listen to these. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Four paradoxes, things that are seemingly a reality, but they're not. Paul here is talking about the vulnerabilities that he himself, as as an apostle, as a minister of the gospel, 
He's acknowledging these things happening in his life, but they're only seemingly happening in these circumstances because they're not. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, we see this perspective of Paul. Then all these trials and all these, these circumstances, these hard providences in his life, he's saying, thanks be to God. For Christ is always leading us in triumphal procession. In all these things, we are triumphing. All these sufferings, there's triumph. So let's look at these fourth paradoxes. He says he's hard-pressed. This is the, the squeezing of grapes. Hard-pressed. That's the feeling like he's in the press. And it's bringing distress from without, from within, on every side, afflictions in every way, every directions, but he's not crushed. He's not utterly crushed by them as he's hard-pressed. Then he's perplexed. The circumstances of his life, it seems as though there's no way out, but there is but not driven to despair. There is a way out. He says he's persecuted. And this is a picture of being hunted down like prey. Enemies are tracking him down, but he's not left in their power. He's not forsaken. Finally, he's, he says he's struck down. He's being pursued by these enemies. He's being overtaken. They're smiting him, but it's not unto death. He's not being destroyed by them. So all these things are happening to him. It seems as though it's crushing defeat, but it's not. It seems as though he's so overwhelmed with despair, but he's not. He's seemingly abandoned, but he's not. We see these trials in Paul's life, as he describes them here, and the Lord delivered him out of them all, we see the trials in our own lives, and we have our own perspective on them, but there's God's perspective on them. And that's the perspective of all these paradoxes, that we go through the suffering, but there's triumph. As the way he sees it, it's triumph. And first, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he, Paul talks about these temptations that none of them will overtake you. All these temptations that are common to all of us, because God is faithful, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. Why? Because he's going to give you a way out of them so that you will be able to endure it. There's triumphing in our sufferings. There is a saying, the origin perhaps is Persian. And you've perhaps seen it, heard it before. It is this. This too will pass. When we face suffering, trials, temptations, we think we can't bear it any longer. When we remember, when Paul says, even in this chapter, verse 17, that these afflictions are light and they are momentary compared to the perspective of eternity. 
They're light. They're momentary. He says here, because these things, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. If we look at the temporal, the things that are fading in this life, then we will think that it is beyond us. We cannot bear it. But if we see it in light, in contrast with the triumph, the eternal weight of glory that we are being prepared for, then yes, we can endure it. How can we gain this perspective in our trials? In things that seem unbearable to us, when we think that we will be abandoned, we remember this. Remember the one and remember the event of the one who went to the very lengths where he himself was abandoned. When he was overtaken, when he experienced all these things, Jesus Christ, he was hard-pressed throughout his entire life. Imagine the sinless Son of God living in this world, hard-pressed in a sin-saturated world. He was perplexed. Think of him in the night that he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he looked at that cup into it, he knew that that was representative of the wrath of God that he was going to have to drink on the cross. Think of how he was persecuted by his enemies and he was delivered out up to the, to, to be condemned as though he was a criminal. Think of him smitten, struck down, mocked, beaten until his, his face, his appearance was unrecognizable. Think of him pinned to a cross with nine inch nails and he was left there Utterly abandoned. He was abandoned. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did it alone so that you would not have to suffer alone. But triumph. What happened to him? He was laid in the grave on the third day. He was raised from the dead. And now he's seated at the right hand of God as the ruling king who has triumphed over death, over the death. So if you are in Christ, you have been crucified with him. You're no longer live, living. It's Christ who lives in you in this life in the flesh because he gave himself at his love for you because he was abandoned on that cross for you so that you will never be abandoned. So when you suffer, you will triumph. This is that extraordinary gift, extraordinary reality in every suffering Christian. Triumph in our suffering. The third extraordinary reality in ordinary Christians is this, life in death. Life in death, verses 10 to 12. And we have some sayings, phrases here that are maybe difficult to understand. Let's look at them together. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What does that mean? In verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So let's unpack this. It's speaking here as as Paul speaks in other places, that it is in death that we truly live. It is in dying with Christ that we live with Christ. To understand this reality of life and death, we have to look at three different perspectives of death and life in Scripture, of death and resurrection. There's the legal perspective. The legal perspective speaks of death to sin and receiving this life all for those who are united with Jesus Christ, who are in Christ, in union with him, in his death and resurrection. If you're united with him in his death, you'll most certainly be raised with him in his resurrection. And so being united with him legally, in this sense, all the blessings of that life are yours in him. They flow into your, into your life. All the blessings of salvation through his death and resurrection, all credited to your account. The second perspective is the moral perspective. This is death to self. The Bible speaks of mortification, putting the flesh, this body of death, to death. This is something we do. Romans 8.13 speaks of by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. And this is a practice of repentance. It's the putting off and the putting on. We're putting off the deeds of darkness and we're putting on the deeds of light. As we confess and repent of our sin, we are putting those deeds to death. We're crucifying them. And so that life is made where there's the renewal of that life in our lives. So that's the moral perspective. Now, here we're speaking in this passage to a physical perspective. In verse 10, it says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We're carrying in our mortal flesh the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, his death and life in our bodies. How how does this happen? In verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. The way we carry the body of the death and life of Jesus Christ in us is by giving our bodies over to death daily. It's a dying to self for Jesus' sake. The one who gave his life for us, we respond by giving our lives for him. Dying in a sense of self-denial. And that's a denial of self-preservation. And that is dying to this idol in our culture of safety, of seeking to preserve our lives, but instead giving it up for Christ. Paul could say, literally, I die daily in this way, but literally, he was facing death 
the dangers of death. He had put away all safety, the risk in his life, in this gospel ministry. For Christ, for the sake of the people, he was preaching the gospel. He was doing it at his life's peril. And he was doing it for the people of Corinth. And he's reminding them of that. Carrying in his body the death, the body of death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus might be manifested in his, in his body as well. With parents, I'm very aware when I go to certain churches where there maybe is a child of theirs in the congregation who's thinking of going to a country where there is great risk in ministering the gospel there, a risk to their lives. It's a hard place. There's a reason why people haven't heard the gospel. It is a hard place. And one of those that I discipled through um, several years in South Sudan, I spoke with his, with his parents one time, and I was so pleased to hear that for them, the issue was not safety for their son. They only wanted him. What mattered the most for their son was that they were obeying Jesus Christ, even willing to give up his life for Christ and for the people that he was going to serve. And he's there in a close country serving. The reality is that those who are in Christ, as Paul says here, death is at work in us. That's a reality in your life. Death is already working in us. But then it's life in the people that you are serving. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, It says, for we, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Throughout this letter, Paul is speaking with such great love for the church in Corinth and saying, you have, you have seen the way I've lived before you, that I have given up my life so that you might know the life of Christ, the one who was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. And you've seen my weakness so that you might know the power of God. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Do you think about that as you serve others? As you're denying yourself, as you're aware of that death that is working in you, saying no to self, dying to self, in your service to others, so that they might know the life of Christ. They might see it in you. We forget that, that in our suffering, it has a purpose. We wonder at times, what is, the, what is the point of this suffering that I'm going through right now? The weakness that, is, that you're experiencing in your suffering has a purpose, is to display the power of Christ, is to display the life of Christ in you. What is that weakness, that trial, that temptation that you are going through right now? And what is the purpose of God in it? 
If you know these words, death is at work in you so that life might be at work in those that you may be serving even in the midst of your suffering. Because it's not about you. It's about Christ in you. It's about the people that you are serving so that they might know Christ. The best thing you can do for others is not seek to try to present yourself in such a way that they might love you more because you've tried to present your best to them, but to come to them in service, acknowledging your weakness, acknowledging that in your suffering, that you are suffering and that you are seeking to deny yourself and your service to others so that they might see the power, the triumph, and the life in you. As we close here, I want to ask you, as you've been hearing about this treasure, this extraordinary treasure, these extraordinary realities that are in you, are they actually in you? Are they in you? This treasure in jars of clay, we acknowledge we're jars of clay, but it's the treasure itself in you, abiding in you. Is Jesus Christ in the gospel in you? Then let it shine. The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, let it shine, that light, that treasure. And that light that reveals the glory of God is revealing the glory of God's goodness. Let me take you back to Moses one more time. What did Moses ask for? He said, show me your glory. And what did God say? I, my, my goodness will pass by you. It's the glory of God's goodness. And what is God's goodness in the gospel? Is that he did not shatter us, this clay pot, into pieces. He has preserved us from his anger and his wrath, his just judgment on us. But he, as the potter and the clay, that we are in his hands, he has sustained us and he has chosen to put the gospel, that treasure in us. And what is that? That the father sent his son in his goodness and he abandoned him on that cross so that we would never be abandoned on any cross. We would never die abandoned, but we would have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, speaking of himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are following Jesus, this is what you have. The light of life. Do you have that? In you, have you received that treasure? So picture the father, the potter, in his hands, having you in his hands, putting his light, the light of life in you, that treasure of his son, in ordinary, frail, weak vessels to show his power, the power and the triumph of his son and his life 
that belongs to him and for his glory.